again. Oh, okay. It's us. This is this. We're here. <laughs> That's the goose chase promise. <laughs> yep. We'll be here. We'll do the thing. It's us. This is this. We're here. <laughs> yeah. I want to make t-shirts to say. <laughs> Why get more specific than that? <laughs> Why promise a show or anything? Why not just Any do something? Any form of entertainment or value. Yeah. Just, or enthusiasm. Just you, You'll get whatever this is that we did. That's it. All right. All right. <laughs> Episode 93. Episode 93-0. Okay. We are creeping up on 100. <laughs> uh, we are creeping up on 100 still. Our March to the 100th episode, at which point we will, uh, I guess, probably join a cult, commit a mass suicide, be done. Uh, I think there needs to be some discussion. Okay. Well, whatever comes up, we'll figure it out. <laughs> um, what's going on? It's, it's nearly New Year's. Yes. That is what I'm excited about right now. Um, my uh, yes. my beer project for New Year's is coming together. I have uh, <laughs> my kegerator all mostly installed, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm really excited about. I have four beers carbonating. Uh, well, three. I'm going to do the other one after the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's exciting. New Year's is the big thing we – the big party we do every year, like the really yeah. big one. And it is creeping up, and I am super excited about that. I found out that yet again I have to work on New Year's Day. Awesome. But I was allowed to choose the day off that week that I wanted, so I chose New Year's Eve. Oh, okay. So I get to, you know, spend the whole day getting ready and enjoying at least part of the party before having to go to bed early and go to work the next day. That's That sucks. Yeah. I mean... Did not have a choice. I'm trying to remember, last year I don't think you did. Yes, I did. Did you? It was the year before you didn't. year before I didn't. Yeah. Last year I did. I had to work at the Boardman Walgreens. Oh, right. Because everyone was trying to get me to call off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. And I was like, if I woke up feeling like death, I was going to. Yeah. And I woke up and I felt okay and I was like, fuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> but I can't. Can't do that. I have to go to work. Yeah. Well, it's okay. You know, just have to. I mean, you don't have to, to work like bright and early, do you? I think I'm going to have to work from nine to six. So not as bad as it could be. It's pretty early. It's pretty early when you yeah. have been experiencing one of our parties. Yeah, right. <laughs> At 9 a.m. on New Year's Day, I'm usually just asleep for three hours. So here's a plan. I start drinking early. <laughs> like I'm like really early. I'm like real drunk when everyone gets there. <laughs> I'm like way ahead of everybody else yeah. to the extent that like they make themselves sick trying people, to catch up to me. When people worry about you a little bit because it's like, <laughs> wow, it's like six o'clock and she's like hammered. She's done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but I'm still cooking. I'm like so <laughs> Oh, making okay. everything <laughs> totally soused by myself. Yeah, you're running around <laughs> doing like a drunk Julia child. Yeah. <laughs> so Julia Child? I don't think she was a drinker. She was wasn't? She? I don't think I she don't was. Know. I don't know. It seemed like she she could have been. <laughs> I'm not saying that she was. I'm just saying I wouldn't doubt it if she liked a little nip of the sherry every now and then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not, it, a, not in a judgmental way, just yeah. like she was pretty free-spirited and, you know. I don't know if that, that, might, that's... I'm I, looking to you for confirmation. <laughs> let us not speculate 
about Julia Child's possible alcoholism. I'm not saying she's an alcoholic. I'm just saying <laughs> that just she may have liked to drink. The, the line keeps enjoy, moving forward. <laughs> enjoy a drink every now and then. Yeah. Little, uh, tablespoon we, of sherry for the dish, tablespoon of sherry for my gullet. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway. Anyway, New Year's is coming up. That's very exciting. Um, yes. I don't know. It feels like there's not a lot going on. It kind of feels <laughs> like the the rhythm of winter is settling in. Yeah. Well, um, you just did something exciting. What did I do? <laughs> what did you literally just do before we started recording? I just talked about that. About how the keg is, the, the keg? kegerator is all together. Were you not listening? Do you not hear me when I speak? <laughs> <laughs> I just said Sorry. that. I just said. Missed that part. <laughs> <laughs> my defense, uh, I'm very sleepy. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes. To say it again, the kegerator has come along. That's pretty great. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, I no, don't know. That's, that is very exciting. Yeah, it is. Um, you have that all together. You're going to have four kegs in there for our New Year's party. Mm-hmm. You have like a marathon beer brewing. I might have talked event. about that on the last I, one. I think you may have. But yeah, like basically like two days of continuous brewing, which yes. uh, which was very productive. Super <clears> cool. <throat> um, excited about that. Me too. But yeah, there's it's it seems like the rhythms of winter are doing what they're doing and we're settling in and just not that much is going on. We watched The Irishman the other day. I was I was gonna that I had that written down of things I want to talk about. It's pretty I thought it was a pretty good movie. I thought it was good. Yeah. I I was reading so after I try not to like read reviews of movies before I see them for the most part. Yeah. I mean I try not to read them too much because they don't want to influence yourself. Yeah, and they're gonna give things away I might wanna figure out while I'm watching the movie. Right. Um, but it seems like most people have been favorable to it. And then there's the people who don't like it, who are like, you're all crazy. This movie's boring. And just accusing basically everyone of being sort of sellouts who don't want to be the only people to say the movie's boring. I genuinely liked it. Like I have a really hard time just watching a movie, especially one that long. So I like kind of like played around on my phone, but I still paid attention and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think it's as good as anything. The thing was, I thought it was a really interesting movie and I actually want to watch it again because I feel like there's stuff that will make more sense because they kind of jump around in time. Right. A little bit. Yeah. So once you know where certain like subplots are going, then yeah, the, the things, things that happen start in them clicking might be... into place towards the end of the movie. And it was mm-hmm. really exciting when that happened. But if I w- would have really known that the first time I watched it, there's things I would have paid better attention to. Yeah, I think me too. But yeah, I was talking to someone at work about it, asked if they'd seen it, and they said they watched it and that they didn't like it. And I was like, what? I thought it was really good. And yeah. basically, they said um, it was too long. And I was like, well, that's different than being bad. Yeah. I mean, if, if a movie is too long, whatever. But like, basically. Like it, if you just like can't do a three hour long yeah. movie, I get that. But it doesn't mean the movie's bad. It's just like not your cup of tea. Yeah. Like if you get a problem with that, fine. But like it's not the movie's. It's not. It's not necessarily a critique of the movie. The thing is, I didn't think that it was... It was a long movie, objectively. Yeah. I didn't think... I didn't think it felt too long. That it 
dragged anything out. I think it was as long as it needed to be to tell yeah. a very in-depth story from that particular character's perspective. Because it covered yeah. his, like, basically, like, what, from early 30s yeah, on? Uh, uh, yeah, with flashes back to him in you know, military service in his 20s or whatever. Yeah, but it, it covered a huge portion of his life. Mm-hmm. So... In, in all the many things that entailed. And the brunt of the movie, like what it really ended up being about, you didn't really get to that <laughs> until about an hour in. Right. Because it had to gear up and mm-hmm. explain how this person became involved with the stuff he became involved in yeah. and how he eventually met the characters that were like a big impetus for the movie. I think it had a, it, a like what is like a kind of a normal rhythm for Scorsese. <clears throat> that yeah, first so, hour yeah, thing. That's important to say. It's a Scorsese movie. Yeah. And he, he, first of all, a lot of his movies, not all of them, but a lot of them are a bit longer and they do sort of meander their way into the story. Sometimes mm. uh, you might, you know, spend a lot of time on a character when they're a nobody. And yeah. that's that's cool. I mean, like, I think that that's probably also core a bit to his philosophy of like, you it's know, a, what the movies are really good like at is you slice know. of lifey. Yeah, I mean, not quite as, not quite as much of. It's not a slice of life movie entirely, but no. he he does like to like he brings us in on characters in like really normal in, lives. Yeah, immerse you in that character's life. Yeah, so you're like experiencing things that. You're right, might not be super important. Yeah. But give you a better understanding of like yeah. what is happening in the day to day or like what this person would experience and feel. It's the base that makes up the soup. Yeah. You gotta have a good base. You gotta start with a nice base <clears throat> if you're gonna have a nice soup. That's a soup. What's that work. hand motion? Just, this you're is doing. me squeezing soup. I don't know what I'm doing. Squeezing here. soup. It looks like know. you're groping testicles. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just me appreciating the base of a good soup. I don't like that. I apparently not. I'm going to need you to choose another <laughs> hand motion or sit on your hands. Uh, no. Um, anyway, yeah. It's well, it's, yeah. in conclusion, I liked it. This has been my book report. <laughs> um, I kind of want to read the. So there is a book. Yeah, uh, that's right. That was written by uh, the lead character who a lot of people, I guess it's all but certain that he made a lot of it up. So okay. take that for what it is. But I want to read it anyway. You know, yeah, me too. Source material is source material. And I don't know. I like mobster stories. I always have. I do too. Well, from – I think a lot of people like them anyway. But being from this area in particular, yeah. I think it makes it even it, – it makes me even more interested in it because it's a huge part of the Youngstown area. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even though that particular story the movie talks about has nothing to do with Youngstown. Right. It's still just, like, understanding the way things worked. And I know still work in some ways and places. But everything that went into, like, the mafia thing. Yeah. uh, And just, like money laundering and working people over and just like everything that they do is so yeah. intricate and it like it baffles me. It's also really interesting how like these characters walk through their lives doing stuff like this that is to them normal. It is just yeah. business. It's just their business. Well, we talked about this a little bit after watching the movie last night and and basically like you know the 
the story revolves around like these these working man types yeah. who they end up in this business mm-hmm. and they it like you said it's completely normal to them after a certain point but it's one of those like I think it's a very specific mindset of like you do what you have to do yeah. and you find ways to justify it to yourself. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned multiple times like the the main character had been in the military and he he'd been overseas and and he had seen some shit and done some shit. Yeah. He was used to the vague orders of take care of the problem. Yeah, right. And so and I I think that's something that the higher ups in an organization like that, they look for the guys like that, like the guys who will just do as they're told, solve the problem, and and not. Yeah, or better, the guys that don't have to be told. Just yeah. this is a problem, make it go away. You know what yeah. to do. I don't have to say it to you. Right. That exactly. Makes, that That's makes what the I'm whole saying. Thing more secure. It's the language of organized crime. Yeah, that it, was also fascinating to me. Yeah. The way, yeah, the way that they talk to each other and stuff, and the things that they will and won't I say. I heard you paint houses. <laughs> yeah, well, that's very interesting. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I can't recommend that movie enough. It's- I thought it was really good. I yeah. enjoyed it. If you're okay with sitting down for a long watch and you yeah. like Scorsese movies, and I, there's so many good actors in that movie. I feel like you haven't seen Wolf of Wall Street. I have not. We gotta watch that movie together. I know that I should. It's so good. It features also, Jonah Hill with a big rubbery fake penis. Great. Yeah. It's, it's always awesome. what I mean, I've wanted. I know that's all I had to say. Yeah. Really selling sold point. It. <laughs> um I you know, I've always said that I I wanna see Jonah Hill with a big <laughs> fake rubbery dick. Anyway. Um, I know that is also a good movie. I also think it's going to piss me off, and of that's why I haven't watched it. Of course it will. It, it, the, the experience of watching, you know, basically rich assholes be rich what, assholes. what they what is the core of like like a bad yeah. person or so like what we're all capable here's of. The maybe thing I don't know. that I I thought was interesting about the Irishman to go back to it for a second. You really end up having a lot of empathy and understanding for some of the characters. Yeah, you do. And you know they're bad people and they're doing bad things. Yeah. But you still empathize and feel sad they're about people in certain parts of their lives. Yeah. Movies are an empathy machine. Now, and as someone who already feels a lot of empathy all the time, I have to like meter out how much of that I can handle. You're not like that. Like no, you, I just watch movies and like them. I, the, if they make me, if they're trying to make me feel things that are too real, sometimes I can't handle it. Right. I just have to be in the mood for that. But I know Wolf of Wall Street will make me angry. It to could. contrast that with the Irishman, which I should be angered by because it's people doing real bad shit, but yeah. I'm not. There's. Yeah, so the difference between those two movies is that I think at the end of Wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort is ultimately an unredeemable character. Yeah. He's a bad he's guy a that you, you just, I don't know, you like to watch a guy go, go crazy on screen for two hours or whatever, but you never really like him exactly. Or maybe you wouldn't want to hang maybe out Maybe you admire him. what a piece of shit he is in, in some dark backwards way, but you, but you don't really There's like no him. learning. He, he didn't learn a lesson. He didn't become a better no. person. In fact, explicitly by the end of the movie, he's <laughs> appears to 
still really enjoy some aspect of what he was and became. I don't know. It's, yeah. I don't want to spoil anything. But I, I will watch that movie. I just good. I know it's going to piss me off. It's good. It's funny as hell, too. I know Jonah Hill is really good in that movie, yeah, too. It's funny as hell. Uh, really, right. really recommend. You sold me. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else to talk about? Not really. I don't think no. I do either. Uh, that's good enough. There's a little catch up on our lives. What In movies we do and do not like. Nothing has been <laughs> happening. So. Yeah, right. Um, well, I think it's time. We mix it up a little bit then. Okay. Yeah, right. Let's do something different. Yeah. I thought maybe we could. Are you okay? Yeah. I thought maybe we could play a game for once. Okay. We never do that. We don't do that. No. We don't really play games. I thought we would play a game called Truths and Fnews. Well, I'll be damned. You mean to tell me? You mean to tell me why you wouldn't happen to me? It's time for truths and fools. Time to play truths and fools. Everyone's playing. Everyone's playing a famous game. Famous game. The game that's taking the internet by storm. It's time for truths and fools. A Merv Griffin production. What is Trues and Fnews exactly? Um, first of all, uh, you said damned. This is not a swearing podcast. Uh, I family need you, podcast, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, I yeah. need you to say it properly. I uh, need you to say, I'll well. Be, I'll be gold derned. No. Well, I'll Dad be. Gummed. What do you always say? I know. I'll be dipped. Thank you. <laughs> That's all I wanted out of you. All right. And now that we cleared that right up. Yeah. Tell me what this game is that I've never <laughs> heard of before. <laughs> Trues and Fnews is yeah. a game, a real fun game, an internet game in which I will tell you three news headlines. Two of them are false, also known as the Fnews. One is true, also known as the truth, And you got to tell me which is the truth. That sounded good. You gesturing Thanks. at me with this pen. I was. I was like stabbing at you with the pen. Was I was like, ignoring your eyebrow wago, like, waggos. <laughs> waggos? Your, your eyebrow waggos. I was doing eyebrow waggos. <laughs> you're also like, you the look like, you're, wrong with you look my like mouth. you're fencing. You're like waving this pen at me. I, like, uh, I had to do something to make me focus so I didn't get distracted right. by you. <laughs> I'm just sitting here waggoing after all. <laughs> waggoing. Uh, yeah, all right. I'll play this game. I'll try. I'm scared. Uh, Garsh, I don't even know a uh, a thing about it, but who oh boy. <laughs> I don't know what just happened to you, but I, I'm I, going to push on forward. I never heard of no trues or fnews oh God. before. All right. Well, the first headline, okay. buckaroo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that, that reaction. Right. Um, first one. 61-year-old zip tie sculpture cut apart to free nine-year-old boy who is entangled in the Memphis, Tennessee tourist attraction. Oh, that feels real. Uh, just, just instinctively, that feels real. All right. All right. All right. Cybersecurity professionals warn that the government can use Harmony AI-enabled real dolls to spy on doll owners. Oh, boy. That also is almost definitely true. So I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thirdly, police issue update on latex clad gimp terrorizing sleepy Somerset village. <laughs> okay. So let's see. Uh, this is uh, zip ties, latex gimp, and people caught up in zip ties. What's going on in your head? What? 
<laughs> you said zip ties, latex, gimp, and zip ties. Oh. No, I, I, th- I, th- I thought I meant to say sex dolls and latex gimp and zip ties. <laughs> What's going on with your head? I don't know. <laughs> Tis the season? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. sure. Let's say it is. <laughs> do you want to recap? Yes, I do. 61-year-old zip tie sculpture cut apart to free 9-year-old who is entangled in the Memphis, Tennessee tourist attraction. Hmm, Okay. Cybersecurity professionals warn that the government can use Harmony AI-enabled real dolls to spy on doll owners. Okay. (laughs) And police issue update on latex-clad gimp terrorizing sleepy Somerset Village. Okay. Somehow the the second time you read that, that was a lot funnier. (laughs) It's just, I can imagine, like, a dude... It basically like like his belly out and leather everywhere else running around going <laughs> Go inside. He's coming down the street. <laughs> he has to unzip his mouth and be like and then zip it shut again. <laughs> um sorry. Um <laughs> Wow. Okay. This is kind of tricky. This is very tricky. I can oh boy. I, so sometimes the truth is the most believable, realistic thing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is not. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure which time this is. Mm-hmm. Ah, boy. I really want it to be number three, but I think it's actually number two. Final answer. Okay. So the cybersecurity. Yes. You're wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay. Please tell me it's it's Gib Man terrorizing town. It is. Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't even care that I'm wrong. My heart is so overjoyed. So there's actually not too much to How this How is there not story. too much? How is there not too well, much? <laughs> basically, in in the village of Somerset, there have been reports of England? a guy in a yes in mm. a latex all black latex outfit with a black gimp mask on um (laughs) and it says terrorizing people but it does not specify what he's been doing so i don't know if he's just like approaching people and not saying anything or if he's like i would imagine if he was like physically assaulting people it would have said like assaulting people so i think he's just like popping up out of nowhere and kind of maybe following people a little bit but never actually does anything yeah um so basically at one point they they thought they had a couple of suspects. They arrested on like some lewd behavior reports or something. They thought they might be involved. They later released them. They didn't press any charges. They okay. were free to go. Um, <laughs> and nothing has happened. I think the last report was in July and nothing has happened since. The guy seems to have calmed down because people to, are really worked up. It's hard to run around in your <clears throat> leathers with, you know, no top on and, you know, nipple No, he's completely covered. Time. Oh, he's fully covered. Yes, full latex. Okay. Which is still, <laughs> the, it's difficult to get in and out of that. Yeah. Um, I think there getaway. was a picture associated, like someone snapped a picture of him, I think. Okay. <laughs> if you could find that, I'm deeply curious about it. Yeah, I, I know I left the link up. <laughs> I mean, it would be kind of scary, wouldn't it? Right. In well, public? especially if it's nighttime, this person in 
all black, especially like. Yeah. Like I would feel like they were trying to be not noticed. This is the picture that someone was able to snap. That is creepy. Especially, it's really creepy. It's in like motion, so it's even creepier because uh, it's like I don't like a fuzzy it. picture. But can I uh, can I tell someone else's story? It's a, a David Cross story. Oh sure. Can I tell this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I get. I mean, re- I don't care. <laughs> it's related to this a bit, which is that mm-hmm. he had this idea that he wanted to do uh, on a like on a plane. He had this plan, and mm-hmm. the plan was that he was going to bring in his carry on luggage like a full leather gimp mask with like the zipper up <laughs> mouth and everything, mm-hmm. right? And wear it at some point. Put it on on the plane, right? Mm-hmm. And then when people. In like inevitably started to comment on it and like you know like send a stewardess over or whatever to like, you know, like uh so you know sir uh, I'm sorry you're, you're making mas- people uncomfortable yeah the plan was to unzip it and go do you mind this is my sleep mask <laughs> <laughs> best part of the story I think is that he does he brings this on a plane he puts this thing on his head he zips it up. And no one says anything. anything. (laughs) That's the thing, David Cross. You're underestimating the power of people to just ignore things that make them uncomfortable. Yep. People would rather die. They'll be they'll be more embarrassed to say something to you than to just pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah. So he wears it for a while and then just like like an asshole takes it off and just like flies normally the rest of the flight. (laughs) Also, I imagine that would be like sweaty and uncomfortable. Yeah. But like, you know, for a comedian, what isn't worth what isn't worth a good the laugh? The joke. Yeah, that's really great. <laughs> Do you mind? Do you mind? <laughs> I love okay, that. This is really boring, but I started sleeping with a sleep mask on. Yeah, this recently. is a, a little boring. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of this is not the most interesting material, but no, all right. but it like and not a gimp mask, just a regular <laughs> old sleep mask <laughs> to cover my eyes. Uh, Right. And I, I got a better one off of Amazon that, like, doesn't sit on my eyes, so it doesn't make my eyes blurry when yeah. I wake up. And uh, it is – I've been sleeping better because of it. Right. And if you wake up terrified in the middle of the night because you I have a nightmare, do. as you so often do, I'm not woken up by the light when you turn it on. This, today, this morning, I got up at, like, 7 o'clock mm-hmm. to have a piss. Mm-hmm. And I turned the light on mm-hmm. and I got up out of bed and I left the light on when I went to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And you didn't notice, did you? No, I didn't wake up. That's very convenient for me. Yeah. I, it's just for what it's worth. It's very convenient for me to be able to, to not have to like, you know, crawl around in the dark <laughs> to find the bathroom. Yeah. I suggest if you sleep with an, even if you don't, but if you sleep with another person in the same bed. Mm-hmm. Invest in a sleep mask. They're not very expensive. And then you don't have to worry about bothering each other if something like that happens. Right. Especially in our case because you have really awful sleep. Yeah. Like you just cannot sleep. Sleep disturbances are on the rise. Yeah. So. Yeah. And as long as you don't mind that I don't wake up when you wake up in terror as much. No. I would prefer not to be waking you up in the first place. Okay. Well, I know sometimes, like, I would wake up because you woke up, and then I would, like, try to calm you down a little bit. Yeah. And I feel bad that I'm not able to do that because I don't even wake up. No, this is this is not a thing that you should be, be doing. It's fine. Okay. I will get over it. <laughs> I'm, I yeah. wouldn't say, like, my sleep 
and it's like vastly improved because I'm still kind of a light sleeper and just yeah. like I just go to bed too late is really what it is. Yeah, but we always do. Um, it does feel like I'm getting better sleep because of it. And mm-hmm. I don't I it's amazing to me that I just don't wake up when yeah. you have to get up. Yeah, it's great. Very I used to convenient. wake up several times a night because you moved or turned a light on or had to get up and go to the bathroom. And I wonder if just something about the pitch black makes all I the other makes the all the other black. things less disturbing too. I think that may be part of it. Like it's letting me get into deeper yeah. sleep, so yeah. I'm able to like ignore everything else. Um. I think I maybe underestimated how much, like, even just little changes in light were, like, waking me up. Yeah, sure. But see that. It, it's great. I like it. I know it's boring. <laughs> I know it's boring. But, awesome. like, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, that's cool. But it's cool. good. It, it makes me sleep better, and I'm happy. I'm glad, too. Yeah. 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 Uh, should we take a break? Anyway, yes. Uh, okay, then why don't we do that? We'll take a break here, and when we come back, I will be talking about the main segment of this episode. You're going to tell me about some shit. I'm going to tell you some things. All right. I'm excited about this one, actually. All right. All right, we'll be back in a minute. Bye-bye. We're back. <sighs> I have had my phone charging for like an hour and a half, and mm-hmm. it is just barely at like 50%. Or what was it? Uh, full disclosure, I took it off the charger for a few minutes upstairs. Oh, my God. I had to plug my phone in because it was <laughs> dying, and my mine, phone is but, currently on 9%. But mine was plugged in because it's dead. Well, yours was <laughs> at 35% oh, Okay. at that time. And also, I knew you would take the charger down here with you. That's a slow charger. It's not the fast charger that our phones rely on. We should really get some fast chargers. Okay. Yeah. It's like uh, get your whole phone charged in like 40 minutes or something like that. No, what might also help? Huh. Getting new fucking phones. Yeah. <laughs> thing is, okay, I was thinking about this today. I don't want a new phone. I really like my Pixel. It's the first generation Pixel that we both have. They're I aging really, out. I love it. I love it's it. It's aging out. Yeah, but I don't want another one. The battery one. fucking sucks. It's like a $900 phone. Like, what bullshit is it? Like, why do we live in a world where phones I know. are 900 a grand, 1200 Because it's not just a phone. It's a tiny computer. It's your whole life in a box anymore. Mm-hmm. God, do I hate these damn things. It's my life in a box. <sighs> I really yeah, like, It's my life in a box, babe. I want to go to the like alternate future where we still have to sit down at computers. I really okay. do. <laughs> That's Well, not you important. have fun there. Leave me here, please. Thank you. Uh, so I uh, are you ready to talk about the episode? Uh, yeah. Okay. All right. Wait. No, yeah, I'm ready. Okay, good. Um, so I want to start before I introduce the topic. I want to say that, uh, you love me. I do. Oh, 
Oh, I'm pretty. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, carry on. All right. Uh, so uh, a while back, I watched a documentary that I think I might have talked about on this show or just in life. I don't remember anymore. The lines are so blurry. It's um, so blurred. But I watched a documentary that was about the subject of digital amnesia, which is this idea that we're creating all this data with what we do with computers and stuff and the content that people create on them and Please, our, David, our records. Data. Yeah. Is it, <laughs> is it, does it matter? I'm just being a dick. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with data <laughs> until someone makes me stop. Um, but basically, we're making more than we can save. And that's like a, like it's a, it's demonstrably observable. Like we are losing stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, even the the big archivers, the people who are like trying to preserve all of this information, still lose stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there's it's and it's it's a it's just a problem we have. Like we create stuff faster than we can save it. We don't necessarily and, know. And it's we rely until it's so gone. heavily on it now. Yeah. That it is. A huge problem. Yeah. Like our our data is important and we don't know what to do with it. <clears throat> I've witnessed this on like a micro level, like a personal level of like. Yeah. I don't take many pictures anymore on my phone because I'll lose them. Yeah. I know they're in the cloud, but gaining access to the specific one I want is such a pain in the dick. Yeah. That it's like. Unless I'm going to go out and get them printed or something or archive them in some way that's easier to access, which I'm not going to do because I'm a lazy fuck, (laughs) then it's not worth it for me to, like, document a bunch of shit with pictures because I'm never going to find it again. (laughs) Yeah. See, my solution is the opposite, though. I just throw, throw everything out in the cloud and I don't ever worry about it. And if I need to find it, sometimes you can just search by words with Google. So it could be like, if I search for like dogs, I get every dog I ever photographed. (laughs) Yeah. um, That is one nice feature is like it does. I, if I'm looking for a specific dog picture, which let's face it, I usually am. um, I can go in the dogs folder and and it's a little easier to sort through, but also I take a lot of pictures of dogs. You've got to have a thousand pictures of both. So many dog pictures, so many Boba pictures Uh, and they all look basically the same. Yeah, right. Like (laughs) there's no way to type into Google that one time where he did that thing where he was laying funny and his paw looked like he was begging for something. Like there's no way to Google that. Yeah. Um, But anyway, um, the, what I want to talk about uh, this week is so th- this is just in the spirit of talking about archivists and people who record things and people who log things, and I'm going to try to tell this one in in a subtle way where I don't like you know sort of like blow the lead on this one. But I want to talk about a woman whose fascinating fascinating archive project. I know what you're talking. Took years about. and years. Uh, keeping her busy for a huge amount of her life and is only now today being reviewed and oh. revisited by other archivists. Okay, maybe not. I'm not sure if you do know what I'm talking about. No, I'm, I don't. Okay, I, I'm going to just let you talk about it. All right, I am talking about a woman woman by the name of Marion Stokes. Marion Stokes. Stokes. Okay. Okay, so... Uh, Marion Stokes is a fascinating woman whose personal life is a little bit murky. I mean... There's not a lot of sources of content about her personal life outside of her own records. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to try and cover a bit about her, the stuff that I could find. I'm mm-hmm. sure that there's I, – I know of materials that are a little bit more in-depth, but for reasons that I'll talk about later, they're not accessible right now. Um, 
She was born Marion Butler in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, where she lived until her death at age 83 in 2012. Oh, I thought you were going to say until uh, some people started making trouble in the neighborhood. Yeah, right. And then she had to put on like a cape and stuff and it was... Uh, oh, no, I was thinking she had to go and live with her aunt and uncle in Bel Air. Oh, my God. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god, nice I appreciate, I appreciate that one um, She was born into a working class family uh, And as she uh, reached adulthood As she grew up her sort of, She became like a activist A politically minded person mm-hmm. uh, A committed communist, actually hmm. um, One word that continually comes up In descriptions of Marion Is firebrand People love saying that about her um, <laughs> It's like a consistent detail uh, multiple people describe her as that, uh, and she, you, you get the sense from what we do know about her personally that she was a. So she's like a another term would be like Spitfire, like yeah, right. She's a she's a agitator by nature as an activist mm-hmm. type person who is not content to just accept you know the status quo and anything. She's okay. a person that might be a bit difficult by nature because. She's, you know, a person fixated on change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she uh, actually uh, uh, tried to relocate her family to Cuba in the 1960s. That's exactly how much of a communist mm. <laughs> she was. But she wasn't um, able to convince her husband, Mickey, uh, with whom she had a whole bunch of issues. Her journals are currently publicly available. Not all of them, but quite uh, quite a bit of uh, some of the excerpts of the, the her earliest journals. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and they detail all kinds of problems with Mickey. Uh, and, and the way she writes is actually kind of very interesting. Uh, it's interesting to read. Like, it's hard because her her writing is not – it's not that it's uh, illegible. It's very neat. It's just, like, very particular. So you kind of have to zoom in a lot to really read it. But Kind of like – is it, like, loopy? It's actually kind of flat. Like, all the loops are very flat. So sometimes it's hard to know what letter you're reading. Oh, okay. So it's like trying to read Russian cursive. I don't know what Russian cursive looks like. It's but. just loops. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. I'll find you a picture. Okay. Uh, she uh, gripes about her husband in her journal saying that she just, uh, doesn't care for his emotional dependence on Marlboro Reds. He's <laughs> indecisive uh, in, uh, and will ch- vacillate wildly on the things he thinks or would have a tendency to fall into interests only then to turn around and be completely uninterested in those interests. Okay, here here's the thing. I get all of those complaints. Yeah. She's just describing a human. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And, and as someone who, like, I get those complaints because I've had those complaints about people. Mm-hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that most people are like that mm-hmm. to some degree. And some more so than others. And it can be very aggravating if you're not like that or try not to be like that. Yeah. But, like... People change their minds. Yeah. And you have to let that go. And like not everyone is gonna be as decisive as you and you have to let that go. Yeah. And like No, yeah. Most people I, I empathize with those complaints, but I that gives me a really solid understanding of the type of person she was. Yeah. I mean, actually when you put it that way, I don't think it would be unfair to characterize her at this time as a person with a certain set of ideals or like ways that people ought to be, and it's frustrated when people don't conform to that. Failing to acknowledge that people are just kind of people. That's Russian cursive? That's yes. bullshit. I cannot read that. 
I cannot read that. <laughs> I mean, well, so we don't know. Right, but, the, like, but <laughs> I can't see letters in that. Right. That's crazy. Wow. Okay. Um, so, uh, during this time, she was a librarian. Uh, she was deeply concerned with politics. She was an activist. It led to her being seen as uh, sort of like a like an oddball local celebrity almost. Mm-hmm. And maybe not the friendliest person, but, you know, definitely uh, someone that people took an interest in. Mm-hmm. Um, she has been described as fiercely intellectual. Um, and her journal writings reveal that she was uh, very concerned with the kind of things she was working on. It could be seen. I, I mean, like, really, when you picture like a driven 60s feminist young woman, you know, like you can kind of I mean, she's a lot. She's a lot of what you might expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and. She was ambitious and she wanted a real partner to help her with what, with her, what she saw as her work, you know. Mm-hmm. And she just didn't not, did not find that in her first marriage. Yeah. Um, super obvious that was not going to work out. Um, so at some point she divorced her husband, Mickey, and remarried to a man named John Stokes. Now, John Stokes, um, <clears throat> I looked in his obituary for some details. He was described as an engineer and a one-time conscientious objector to World War II. Mm-hmm. Um, their marriage was, I don't want to say controversial, but it was bold. It was an interracial marriage in the 60s, which was mm-hmm. like a statement then, right? Mm-hmm. He's a wealthy white guy, and she's a working class black woman. Um, and so this is – but they're but they they're intellectual partners, which mm-hmm. is the important thing. Like it seems obvious that what she finds in this relationship that she didn't have is that intellectual partner who was as driven as she was. Yeah. Um, uh, and his wealth allows her to expand on her work for one thing. Um, they also together worked on a local television, like public access program Hmm. called input. Um, So it's like, um, 60s, 70s version of a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. I mean, it's not that different. It's a roundtable discussion around a given topic. Um, All right. And the topics were, you know, direct, honest, often kind of controversial stuff. Um, to think about it today, I think it's kind of in- incredible. And, you know, this is a show that ran from 1968 to 1971. It was hosted by and featured a diverse cast of panelists, uh, you know, often like intellectuals talking about you know, important issues like uh, the subject of black reparations, religion, atheism, war, prison reform. Um, and in a lot of ways, the show is regarded now as ahead of its time. Yeah, um, I can see that. These are it's not like these. Obviously, it's not like these ideas weren't out there all, you know, being discussed, you know, in different places. But to have it, you know, like public access show that's being, you know, broadcast the entire yeah. city of Philadelphia. That's this direct about like really big issues it's pretty it's bold i'll put it this way these are things we're still trying to like yeah work through and get people more comfortable with talking about openly yeah so the fact that it was like the what 70s at this point and and they're like we're like talking at like late 60s early 70s and this is they're putting this on a public access station is pretty pretty ahead of its time i'd say yeah i think so um it's um, so the show is created by John and Marion, and it's often hosted by them too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was only broadcast in Philly, like I said, it's public access. But it, I think it was important. 
Um, and it hosted some really incredible, important people, people who either would go on to or already had made like major contributions to hmm. the world and public discourse and stuff like that, right? I just want to pick up one of them because I think it's very interesting. Uh, they had a, a, a psychiatrist by the name of John Fryer as a guest at least once, maybe more than once. I'm not sure about that. Um, he was a Philly psychiatrist. He would go on to give a speech in disguise at the APA's annual convention. Hmm. Um, he went on as Dr. Anonymous and made the statement, I am a homosexual, I am a psychiatrist, and I am a member of the APA, and would go on to argue for the removal <laughs> of homosexuality as a uh, in the DSM. Oh, gotcha. And he's, he's often credited for the decision to remove the homosexuality from the DSM as a disorder in 1973. Mm-hmm. So That's really, awesome. Very interesting. Um, so, sorry, phone's buzzing. Uh all right, moving on a little bit. This this episode's kind of moving quickly here. I don't know if it's that long an episode, but that's okay. That's okay. Which you will come to we're find at, is kind of ironic, we're actually. We're 45 minutes. Um, we're, we're good on time. Okay. Even if you ended in five minutes, we'd still have a decent episode. Yeah, I guess you're right. Um, so I want to talk about Marion and the media. Uh, the media. The media. Ooh. She was obsessed with media in mm-hmm. many ways. Uh, archiving and collecting a ton of materials, uh, specifically books and news. Uh, she collected. Was it truths? This is all truths, and oh. so was that. I okay. don't think she kept a lot of news around. All right. She wasn't interested in the news. Hmm, that's a shame because it's a real fun game. <laughs> um, yeah, she she collected a lot of books and read a ton of news, and at one point she received. A half a dozen daily newspapers. Like wow. Six newspapers a day. Um, and 100 to 150. So not an environmentalist. No. Um, <laughs> as you will see, I don't think she really cared about that stuff uh, because she also uh, received 100 to 150 monthly magazines. Oof. Um, and she did this for half a century. <laughs> So she uh, and then she accumulated between 30 and 40,000 books. I mean, she just like really collected stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this is where I divert a bit to say you can ask at some point how much of this is collecting and archiving and how much of this is hoarding. Yeah. I think some people have raised that question. I know some people have raised that question. Um, and they try to make some distinctions about it. And I think that she was collecting these things for good reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, like reasons that made sense that weren't just compulsive collecting, but I don't know. There might have been a tinge to that. There might have been something in there, you know. Um, I I recognize something in her characteristics that reminds me of other people I know who have those kind of tendencies. Yeah, and I it just feels very familiar to me, and, and I relate to it personally too. I try very hard not to like yeah hoard things because I know that. Yeah. No, I have that, to I have to consciously go around the right. fence and just throw stuff out to stop right. from doing that. Um yeah. it's a tendency I definitely have, so I try hard not to do that. But yeah. I I relate to her in a lot of ways. I I don't think I'm as strong as a of a personality as she is, but I, I relate to a lot of the things that like this, like wanting to collect and catalog and preserve yeah. Yeah, I don't think it's uh, certainly when we do that. I don't know if we do that out of any moral <laughs> obligation. I think no. we just don't like throwing shit away. 
Right, right. I definitely don't have that impetus. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I just made a weird throat sound. (laughs) Did you hear that? I'm pretty sure I made one earlier. It's fine. Um, So anyway, uh, she reaches a new level of obsession in collecting things in 1979. And this is where we reach the the real reason that people know Marion Stokes Mm -hmm. and her biggest contribution. Um, this starts again, 1979 during the Iranian hostage crisis. Uh, she was obsessed with the news developments coming out around this story, but more importantly, she was starting to pick up this concern with how a story changes over time and over reporting. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so she had a few key insights. Um, the first one, she was concerned with the fact that many broadcast networks, uh, as she knew from her time filming a television program, I think, just throw their footage away. Um, TV wasn't a new medium by any stretch in 1979, mm-hmm. but it was a young one, and it seemed that it didn't have much regard for preserving its own history. Lots <laughs> and lots of footage basically just got destroyed. Yeah. You know, if it wasn't like, whatever got edited out, probably kept the final copy, but whatever was even the final copies they didn't always keep. Ooh. The stuff that like you know, you're filming live TV, you're producing the stuff. Sometimes they didn't even keep it or they keep it for a bit and throw it away. There's like there's so much that didn't stick around. Mm-hmm. Um it had to be noteworthy to be kept. And most every day isn't really noteworthy. Yeah. You know, so it's like reasonable for people to go in eh, whatever, throw in the trash. But there might be something in there that nobody knows is important yet. And this is something that she was concerned with, right? Um, and also that TV coverage, like I said, has a tendency to develop as stories develop, which means that stories form in real time and change in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, and she recognized that for a medium that isn't as important and as intimate and influential as TV is, as much as we depend on it, it might be that we were – being presented with a lot of misinterpretations that aren't good for like keeping an overall record of fact. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So during the Iranian hostage crisis, she starts recording live TV. She's like recording around the clock, the coverage of, of this, these stories. Right. Um, Here's the other thing. The next year CNN goes live. Mm -hmm. So for the first time, there's actually 24-hour news coverage. Hmm. These things coincide at what I think ends up being a very advantageous it, – it just so happens. She's becoming obsessed with this around the time the 24-hour news develops. Yeah. Um, so there's something for her to be capturing 24 hours. Yes. From this point on, she doesn't stop continuously recording television coverage for the rest of her life. Oh. So this becomes her largest and most powerful legacy. The biggest thing that she lives to the world is news recording on VHS tapes 24-7 on what was eventually eight separate VCR machines all over her house. Oh, my God. That's so expensive. She had money to burn. And it was important to her. And I understand why. But, yeah, it was. (laughs) That's... You don't even know. I I I, I can't wait. I, I'm so I see. I, I didn't want to spoil this. That's so. Here we are. Some obsession level shit. Um, and not that it. Like I understand why. Yeah. It's understandable, but 
there's a reason only one person has is known for doing this. Yes, it's not right. Yeah, some people obsessively record stuff like this. No one has ever contributed a collection like she did, ever. Maybe never will. Probably never will. Well, at least not via VHS. Right now we have all these different means of capturing this stuff. Oh, real quick, this has nothing to do with that. But I just heard that Mariah Carey re-released her like Christmas single on <laughs> tape cassette. Okay. And I just, I don't know. <laughs> Something think, about that's great. <laughs> I think even the new Kanye album was on tape. I could I be just, wrong. I, I think people are doing that now. There's just something about Mariah Carey being like, <laughs> nah, bitches. <laughs> Re-releasing it, tape cassette. You know? I don't know. I wonder what it would be like to listen to new music on tape now. Not good. It Not wasn't good. good. It wasn't better than what we do now. No. But there's something to be said about the character of it. It's different. It's its own thing. It's it doesn't not sound like, good, but it's it's not like vinyl. But no, it's no, no. It's just interesting. It's like it's interesting, but there's no real good reason like, you know, to you do know, that. You know that pattern that's on all those cups, the like sort of like uh, bluish colors and waves and stuff. Oh, the nineties. Yeah, cups. Ni- yeah, yeah. That I wouldn't say that that's great, but I think there's something pleasant about looking at it. Yeah, that's, it, that's like it has a significance in our lives, but. It doesn't mean we should continue. Like it, the, the thing about the thing about yeah. audio tape cassettes is that it's difficult to preserve. Uh-huh. It doesn't stay sounding nice for very long. It's magnetic. It's really so it's easy to get destroyed. It's yeah. very vulnerable. You yeah. got, always got to have a goddamn pencil on hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like <laughs> it, it's just not uh, convenient if mm-hmm. you want long term storage i want to be able to listen again and again and again so that's one of those things though about this topic in general we have a problem with our storage mediums they do not last that long even cds Mm -hmm. which they claim can last like 200 years often do not because the medium physically degrades yeah and if Um, it's not stored in ideal (coughs) conditions right As someone who kept a lot of CDs in her car under not ideal conditions for a very long time. None of them fucking work. And burned CDs? Forget it. Oh, yeah. Anything, any burned CD, you know, they they fall apart so fast. Mm -hmm. Even like hard drives aren't really supposed to last more than five years. Really? Yeah. I mean, often they will last longer than that. But I was reading today that like the, the longest that most hard drives are actually rated for is like five years. Hmm. Now, of course, when like data is moved and rewritten and stuff, that can affect the longevity too. But anyway, the the, the point is, um, storage mediums are unreliable. I would agree. The, the the audio cassettes are especially unreliable. Yeah, but um, let's let's get back to the topic, which is kind of related to. Yeah, it is. Um, so from 1979 to 2012, Marion recorded news all day, every day, with the help of her husband. And sometimes her children, and eventually a few helpers, even. So they were like cool with this. Yeah, I don't. You know, that's a part I don't want to state clearly because I don't know if her husband was super cool with this. I know he helped. Yeah. I know. I know that it was important to her. I know that. So it might have been a thing that he just conceded to because it was important to her. Yeah, and I'm not sure exactly how her kids felt about it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, this became her contribution to the world. Um, what does look, living like that look like? I will tell you. Uh, <laughs> it is as disruptive as you think it is. Yeah. So 
all all day, every six hours, six hours, somebody had to manually remove and label and replace tapes in those VCR recorders all around the house. Six hours, every six hours, which means that her life and her family's life were arranged around it. Like they would. If they had to, if they had to go to a meal and the interval was coming up, they had to leave the meal and go go home and change the tapes. This is just how they lived. Um, they would put in a tape at night and go to sleep and then wake up Someone six hours later. Wake up after six to hours to change the tape. So they didn't sleep more than six hours, or at least one of them. Someone did. always was up after six hours of sleep. Um, they did this for a really long time. It was only in old age that she employed any outside help. And I saw briefly somewhere as I was reading that she had established a little bit of a working group around this project. And someone described it almost as like a secondary family that she was consciously sort of forming around this project. I don't know much about that, but I just wanted Mm -hmm. to mention it because I thought it was an interesting, uh, concept. And I think, well, I'll get to that, but yeah, it's interesting to me. Hmm. How many tapes do you think? She amassed between 1979 to 2012. I guarantee you won't guess it. <laughs> okay, so every six hours, that's four a day. Yeah. Uh, well. 79 to 2012? Mm-hmm. This is going to take me time to do the math. Don't do the math. Just throw me a, throw me a guess. Oof. Okay, so four a day. Now, that's four a day per VCR. Oh, and, and there's you like said eight there's of those. like... Oh. Not the whole time. It changes over time. This is why. Don't bother. Just give me a guess. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I Don't even guess. I'll tell you. 23,500. Try almost triple that. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's ridiculous. 71,616 VHS tapes. Oh, my God. <laughs> All carefully labeled over the course of what was 12,094 days. Unbelievable. That's insane. It is the largest this collection like this ever. It's just like, like an ever. insane amount of information. Mm-hmm. It's so much that it's pra- it's almost impractical right. to, 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 to utilize, right? Right. Because um, thir- even if uh, – obviously they labeled every single one, but you would need to know the date and time of the mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Like an event was reported on, mm-hmm. in order to be able to access that thing, it's too or much. Or just to watch go the whole through. day's worth of news on eight different stations, and you know, that's it, which is insane. It is insane. Thirty-three years of work. <clears throat> um, it's continuous filming of TV that was in many cases otherwise destroyed or thrown away by the makers that produced it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like this is stuff that the only much of it, the only existing copy. Is what she recorded. Um, And it's unlike any other collection because it also contains everything exactly as it was originally broadcast, you know, with mistakes or whatever happened with the the commercials that aired with it and in that regional market, which is interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, and the the full uncorrected record of major television networks. Hmm. Um, A lot of this stuff, I feel like. When we get to look back at like what was on TV, they have the opportunity to edit it and clean stuff up and present it as they want to. Yeah. This is an unchallengeable record of what actually broadcast on TV. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me. Um, 
So she recorded <clears throat> Fox and MSNBC and CNN and C-SPAN and CNBC and more. Um, because of her immense wealth, how's this for an idea? She was able to rent apartment buildings just to put tapes in. <laughs> apartment buildings? Uh, apar- apartments, but she there were multiple apartments. Multiple apartments. Wait, how was she so wealthy again? Was that because of her husband? Husband's well. He's an engineer, right? Uh, he was an engineer. I think he was born into money as well. He had a privileged childhood, you know. Okay. But uh, yeah, almost definitely did. Um, so there was She's never lots heard of, money of to play storage with. units? Well, <laughs> the thing is, they're VHS tapes. They can't, like, get Be real hot in a box. Or hot, yeah. You know? You don't want them to melt, so you put them in a climate-controlled environment. Wow. Um, a place that's not always humid or cold or hot or whatever, all these different things that can destroy tapes. you got to put them in a space as, you know, unaffected by continuously changing climates as you would want to live in. So apartment makes sense. Hmm. Um, she, yeah, so, God, I think I scrolled back a bunch. Yeah. Um, she continued doing this all the way up until her death in 2012. Some of the last recorded footage in her archive is from the Sandy Hook incident. It's like basically where it wrapped up. Um, So anyway, uh, let's move on to after her death. Um, Mm -hmm. She left this whole collection to her son, Michael. Mm -hmm. And her only instruction was to donate it to a charity of his choice. And I think he made a great choice. Okay. He, there was a process. They vetted people. Mm-hmm. There were multiple people interested. He ultimately gave it to the Internet Archive. Okay. You know the Internet Archive probably as the Wayback Machine people, mm-hmm. but they do all kinds of archiving and stuff. I can only imagine that that group of people will want to digitize this and try to store it in a more permanent manner. That is exactly right. Which is, Which I is think- what I was thinking of, like, that... Is going to degrade even if you keep it right. at a, the perfect temperature and, mm-hmm. and all of that. It's going to degrade. Right. So digitizing it while digital storage is also not like. It's in, not perfect. Yeah. It's you're way Better. more likely. I think if I remember correctly, the estimate is that there's three and a half petabytes of data, <sighs> which is three and a half thousand terabytes right (laughs) that's crazy i mean that's that's crazy that's like uh it's a huge amount of storage (laughs) um not impossible but just a huge amount of storage um and that's just for capturing it you know sort of at its original quality or whatever is the maximum that you can really realistically pull off of vhs um the collection occupied four complete shipping containers like the big shipping container on the back of a truck. Yeah. Four of them. Um, as well as some 50 boxes of her journals and notes. She journaled like monthly mm-hmm. and they're, they're like 50 bankers boxes full of her journals. Wow. Right. Um, it cost her estate 16 grand just to move that from Philadelphia to San Francisco. Um, and it's their biggest donation ever. There's actually a picture you can see of, <clears throat> I can't remember who, standing in front of just pallets and pallets and pallets. Oh, of my things. God. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> so as you correctly guessed, they're attempting to digitize the collection. 
It was expected to take round the clock volunteer efforts mm-hmm. and cost two million bucks. Oof. And they're still doing it. Um, so this was, you know, in 2013, it was given to them. And in 2014, they confirmed they were still working on the project. And then there were, it seems to be some silence in between. And then, like, middle of this year, they posted on their blog about it. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as I'll get into in a second, there's a documentary going around about her that is touring. Okay. And so they chose that, that opportunity to encourage people to go see it and to talk about the project and all that, right? Um, none of the footage appears to be public. Um, I had a hard time finding anything like that. There is some, actually there's some, uh, super eight footage, like her personal video mm-hmm. that is on archive.org. What's, what's their plan with this other than to archive it? I can tell you, so I don't know for a hundred percent certain, but let me tell you about another thing they do that might shed some light. They have a nine 11 project. That is, you can go on to their website and choose the, this project and look at it and, there's a timeline that mm-hmm. goes left to right and you scroll far right on the page. You can see the entire event of the, the day of September 11th and the next day and the day after that and the day after that. And they're all marked with little like at the top of the whole thing, little pins that say at this time this happened and at this time this happened. And then going vertically down the page, there's all different news networks and what they were showing on TV at that time. OK. And you can go in and find – I mean, it's, I went and I looked at it. It was really kind of shocking. As you can go in and see the minute after this plane hit. Like, or can two you minutes watch after, the footage? Yeah. Two minutes after the plane hit, you can look and go to one of all these different networks and click and see at exactly that moment oh, wow. what they were showing on TV and how long it took them to start showing the the news events and news coverage and how they didn't know what it was yet. And some people weren't sure that it was even a plane and all that. I remember, I remember that day. Yeah. I think anyone that was around will never forget it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I remember them not knowing. Yeah. I remember being in class with TVs on and just not knowing what the hell was happening. And everyone, all the adults holding it together, but you Mm -hmm. knew they were freaking out. Oh yeah. Which is like when you're a kid. That's the scariest really thing. Really scary. Yeah, because like never before had I seen so many people who I trusted to like, you know, like keep it together, know what's going on, be in charge, all just looking at each other like, what now? I think that was the scariest thing of yeah. like the looks in the hallway, like seeing the adults look at each other like. Yeah. Seeing the adults forget you were there. Yeah. You know, and just like I remember it was second period when I was walking into history class of all things. Right. <laughs> and uh, a guy who was my teacher named Mr. Fideski. I remember him. I had him. <clears throat> he was late to class. Mm-hmm. And when he came in, he yeah, said, you guys. Were, you were a freshman. Yeah. I was in the eighth grade. Or was I? You were a freshman. freshman. Yeah, you're right. I was in the eighth grade. Yeah. I had him my freshman year. Okay. The next year. So, yeah, that day he came in late. He walked into the room and he said, guys, something important's going on. And he basically didn't say anything else. Mm -hmm. And he put the TV on and we all just kind of watched. And as a kid, you're like, oh, whatever. Something is on fire. People are always at war. Whatever. You just don't grasp it. You're just yeah. like, oh, yeah, bad things happen. And I've been watching, you know, footage of bad things happen my whole life. So why is this different? Didn't really connect, you know, 
for a while that like, oh, wait, this is a thing that's going to define the next decade and yeah, more. I don't I don't. I don't think it was until I started seeing how the adults were reacting and yeah. until I was going to different classes and it was on in every class and that's all we were doing in every class. Yeah. Yeah. That right. I was like, class to class. this is new. There was no, there like was I've, no I've never on. had anything like this happen in my life. Yeah, we're like, it, we're, we're not, sense. we're not doing any work. We're just watching TV. We never watched TV. Right. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's almost weird that you could t- turn on the news on those things. Right. I didn't even know you could do that. Well, we really have Until digressed then. into where we were Sorry. on 9-11. Sorry. <laughs> but no, that archiving yeah. those events is important because that's something <clears throat> that people who were born like a few years after us yeah. don't have that experience. Right. And hopefully they never will. But and, and yeah, I'm not saying I want them they to. They probably but that's, will at some point. You know, it's yeah. just human. But that's like yeah. something that can unite people for the for you to be able to explain what you saw and what it made you feel, mm-hmm. for them to be able to access an archive and go, okay, at that time right. that my mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or whatever – Saw that on TV, yeah, and had this like feeling or, or started to understand what was going on. This is what they were seeing, right? That's important. Not even just nine eleven, but anything that I think this is a, a really interesting idea. Really yeah, it has the potential to be very useful. I mean, just it's that just, one example. It's just insane that when she started doing this. She didn't know that there would eventually be the capability of, like, archiving it in a digital way and, like, accessing it. She might have had a sci-fi idea of that happening someday. But 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 just, like, it wasn't. It just felt important. I mean, in 79, that amount of, I mean, it it would have been an inconceivable volume of data back then. Yeah. To convert that to, like digital storage yeah um so yeah no i think it was it was completely outside the the it it probably it could not i don't think have probably realistically occurred that this was going to be something that everyone could access from anywhere in the world at any time yeah i'm sure she hoped i don't know i'm sure like that that's the hope right the the fact that you're recording Everything. The hope is that people will have access to it. Right. But just like this level of access was probably inconceivable. Yeah. Um, Um, Do you happen to know what other organizations they were considering donating to? I don't. I don't. I was just curious. They weren't weren't listed in my research, um, but who knows? I mean – Maybe the like the Smithsonian or something like that. Maybe like yeah. just you know who who can who can I mean there's so many people would probably find some way to utilize this. Yeah. But the Internet Archive are the most likely people to make that universally accessible under a yeah. Creative Commons license. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's not like sealed up in anyone's collection. So anyway, um, yeah, so. The the documentary that is coming out about her is called The Recorder or Recorder uh, by a guy named Matt Wolf. Mm-hmm. And it tells the story of her life and her work. And I suspect it's really revelatory on that because a lot of her personal life is not particularly well known. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned this. I didn't. I don't think she basically didn't leave her house except to go to record her show and then to have a martini at her local bar. 
those are the two things she left her house for most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so there's not a lot of information about her personal life available to most people except this documentary because mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm aware that uh, Matt Wolf worked with her son, interviewed her son, and got a lot of information, like that kind of personal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> he also described uh, on a panel uh, at somewhere, I'm not sure, probably a screening or something. I think it was a screening. Uh, talking about how they worked with the archive of video to make the documentary. And he said that he was able to like look at like Wikipedia and be like, well, you know, what notable things happened in 1980, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. And then go to the archivists at the Internet Archive. They were able to pull up video and find live broadcasts of stuff or, you know, live coverage of stuff um, that had just happened, you know. Uh, One of his examples he used was that in 1979, the Miss Universe stage collapsed with a bunch of the contestants on it. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about this. Um, I tried looking on YouTube to see what happened. (laughs) And all I could get is right before and right after. I can't find video of the thing actually collapsing. But she's got it. Right. They were able to go through and find coverage of that stuff. Oh, my God. If. How many, things, how many things able, must be like that? If they are able to make all of this stuff accessible and searchable. What might we find out? And also, I'm just thinking of the potential for like for like education, for students to use it, for reports of like, okay, something mm-hmm. that happened in the past. Mm-hmm. How was it reported on on the day? Like, how did we talk about it then? What did we know about it in that moment? Like, yeah, that's stuff that is lost. Yeah, right. No, I aside mean, from this, like you can't know that. Very except often for that. what we are left with is the official story that congealed over time. The official story or the memory and like the, the, the verbal storytelling from families. Mm-hmm. But of like I remember it's like us talking about 9-11. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's so inexact. That comparison, right, of like this is – it's largely how we felt about it in the moment mm-hmm. and not like <laughs> yeah, exactly not, what they were saying yeah, or exactly right. what they were showing. Uh, I found out by watching the um, – that 9-11 uh, project mm-hmm. that CNN, when they picked it up, they got a call from like the president of CNN or something. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who he was. And he he was the guy describing to them what he had just seen oh. as a primary source. Oh, wow. Like, how crazy is that? And I wouldn't have known that if I didn't have access mm. to this actually very in the moment, very visceral, real thing of the president of the company called the anchors freaked out, dropped. I think they were talking to John McCain. <laughs> and they're like, uh, shut up, John McCain. Uh, we have like, you know, our boss here, essentially. And he's telling them in real time what he thinks he saw. Oh, wow. It's crazy. So anyway, um, the point I'm making is because of Marion, they're able to isolate some stuff that I, I can't wait to see what we might find out. Um, the documentary seems to suggest that she paid a heavy personal price for this work. And some of this I think we kind of have already talked about. Like it seems yeah. like what an awful task it must be to do this for well, years. It would be. Very alienating mm-hmm. and isolating and probably really frustrating for your family. Mm-hmm. I don't think everyone was super on board with this at the time. And it seems like, you know, it kept her home. It kept her from going places, I'm sure. Um, her relationship with her family seems to have been strained in some ways. I just I don't think she might have necessarily been an easy person to get along with. I don't think people like this tend to be. No. Just too serious and heavy and into their thing, you know? Yeah. 
but singularly I obsessed. I don't know this for sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the documentary is really where I'm ending with that. You know what I mean? I want to yeah. see the documentary. Um, but that's okay. So this is mostly it. I just want to conclude here. Um, and I, I, I want to say, I think that the life of an archivist like this is totally unique. Yeah. I don't think most people can conceive of living like this. It's no. like fueled by obsession. And here's the thing. Most people, even if they're like, man, this would be a really cool thing to do. Or man, I'm really interested in this. Once they realize the dedication it would take mm-hmm. of how they'd have to change their lives or limit their lives in order to be able to do it, mm-hmm. would think twice about it and oh, be yeah. like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. It's someone else is going to have to do that shit because I can't stop my life every six hours. Yeah. And I, I mean, to my knowledge, no one else has ever undertaken anything this big. And I'm not surprised because it yeah. is a huge project. Um, I mean, there's lots of people like this. Archivists are a super unique breed. And I would love to talk about some more of them in another episode. Mm-hmm. There's whole groups and websites and projects dedicated to not letting pieces of our history slip away. Yeah. I even found some uh, in articles. Up, I found this story in an article about a different archivist working on a different project and just found my way into there. But, I mean, there's people with, like, whole websites dedicated to backing up other websites, you know? And yeah. And it's a project for them that they don't profit on and they survive on donations. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. I'd love to talk about I it sometime. I thought you were going to say donuts. They survive on donuts. <laughs> I didn't know how that was going to be related, but and I was they like, survive on donuts. Same. I don't think that's the most efficient way to survive. It's not. No. It's not very good for you. Probably no. not going to live very long if no. all you eat is donuts, but. Who knows? Donuts. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I just want to end by saying this. I really look forward to the day that this full archive is available. Yes. I want to see that documentary, too. I do, too. It's it's literally touring city to city. I have no idea if and when it'll have a release that we can get our hands on. Anyway. Um, I would be very, very surprised if it's not available on some streaming platform. Not yet. I mean, eventually. Event, not right now, but eventually. Right. Once they're done touring. Um, I look forward to when this is released and we can look back and see our real time reaction to a whole bunch of things that continue to affect our lives. I mean, like imagine a full archive of everything related to, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff out there about the day of the call. When when was JFK assassinated? Prior to all this. Okay. I was going to say that was before this. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I'm just thinking like like things like that are what I'd be interested in seeing how our media reported and captured that right i mean here's some events i wrote down that like i'm sure there's very lots maybe too much available footage on but you know the gulf war the columbine shooting the election of a number of u.s presidents all kinds of things that like you know if you google that you'll find some stuff Mm -hmm. but you won't find what was happening on every big network all day long yeah all the little things that go in between analysts talking about what they think this will mean and the one crackpot that no one took seriously that maybe knew exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. And maybe has even been forgotten to this day. So I don't know. I just look, I look forward to seeing that. You know what it, we're really going to discover when we're able to watch this? Hmm. Illuminati. Illuminati. Oh, we Illuminati. already know about that. I know, but it's going to make it very clear. The Illuminati is going to try to shut this shit down. I want to watch it in reptilian mode. We can just see the... <laughs> Where everything is like just a very limited vertical yeah. window. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, the most exciting thing for me is what's going to happen when people can curate that content. Mm-hmm. Because 
it's one thing to have all this available footage. It's another thing to see what stuff people put forward as important and then what people thumbs up that and then it climbs to the top and all of a sudden. Yeah. What goes viral from this? Yeah. Like that's the most interesting because no one can comb through all this. But a lot of people can comb through a little of it. Mm -hmm. And then when people notice stuff, I don't know. I just I guess I've said enough. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with that. And that is Marion Stokes. I did not know about her. I think a lot of people don't. When I mentioned it, Chris recognized it. He said, you know, yeah, this was a thing that, you know, and actually, I mean, she died in 2012. They donated the stuff in 2013. And even as recently as like three months ago, it was going around the news again um, and popular on Reddit and stuff like that. So it's it's not new news, but it's funny how something like that can slide under the radar. It is. Uh, it slid under my radar and mine. Yeah. So anyway, that's it. Marion Stokes. Super cool. A uh, recorder is the name of the documentary, the Marion Stokes project. Um, keep an eye out for it. If, uh, it becomes available, I think it'll be a really good watch And the trailer. Just watch the trailer. Trailer's cool. All right. Um, so that's it. We done it. This we is done. us. We're here. This is it. We done did it. That's it. We're us. We're out. it's us this is this we're here right and now we're not that's it we're out (laughs) yeah that's it okay i really want to make a t-shirt that says it's us this is this we're here Um, and underneath it says goose chase and on the back it says that was that we're out (laughs) see us on cafe press or Redbubble. i'm thinking Redbubble, but we'll Uh, see uh uh, yeah anyway uh that's it for another episode of goose chase goose chase that's right Uh, (laughs) (laughs) do i get a cookie yeah you do um so anyway i get a brownie there's still a brownie up there oh yeah i'm gonna eat that brownie that's all yours um we'll be back hopefully next week with another episode as per usual um thank you for listening keep sending us suggestions and um i guess we'll see you in another week or so for more goose chase goose chase see you next time uh, bye bye been listening to goose chase we are goose chase podcast on facebook and twitter on twitter our handle is at goose chase pod and our website is www.goosechasepodcast.com if you have any topics you'd like us to research please email us at goosechasepodcast at gmail.com if you like what we do on the show please rate and review us on itunes and google play want to go on a goose chase Ooh, yes 